Would you open your Bibles, please, to Genesis chapter 12? There could not be a more unlikely candidate than Abraham for God to choose to use. Even as I typed that sentence on my computer to put in your notes, it came to me that I classify myself as even more unlikely. When I shared it with my husband, he said the same thing. Beloved, there is no reason, there was nothing about me that God should have chosen to call me out of darkness into his marvelous light. But I've got to tell you, 42 years ago, as an idolater, as one walking away from the Lord, as one quite self sufficient in and of my own ability as one confused, broken young woman. I am telling you, God set his affection upon me and the spirit of God came after me and he began to open my eyes of understanding and it still stuns me and staggers me to even testify of it. But in the blink of an eye, in response to God's word and his spirit, I entered into a divine transaction where he called and I responded by faith. And while I knew so little of his word or his character, you know that I come from an unbelieving background. And at the age of 24, I knew almost nothing about the word of God. I didn't know there were two testaments. I did not know Jesus was coming back. I was having a hard time grasping the fact he came in the first place. Anybody with me? The fact he was coming back, I mean, oh my goodness. And not only that, I believe this book was only available for pastors and missionaries to read. I did not know that God's people had been given a love letter from the king himself. Oh, I tell you, I am such an unlikely character. Abraham, such an unlikely character. And yet God chose this one man, an idolater, living in a culture that was so broken. The Chaldeans were known to be a warlike people. They were cruel and violent. And that is where he and Sarah lived. And yet God called This one man, and when he responded by faith, God began to orchestrate into Abraham's life his sovereign plan and purpose. Now, as we study Abraham's life, I'm hoping that we'll be able to see his faith journey and see how ours relates to it. So let's dig in. The first thing I have for you is what I call where faith Begins. Look with me in Genesis chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. Now, because of the shortness of time, we're going to have to summarize text and just lift out some verses I want to make mention of. I apologize for that, but that's where we are. And I got to tell you, my word bank, I could keep you here eight hours and not finish up. That's how many words I have. And I'm not kidding. And I believe Mr. Stockdale could testify having spent 
the last year with me. Now the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country, from your relatives, from your father's house to a land, and I'm going to show you. And then what we know as the Abrahamic covenant, and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. And in all and in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Beloved, that is a messianic promise and prophecy. Similar to what God said to Adam and Eve and the serpent back in Genesis chapter 3. The seed of the woman is coming and he's going to crush the head of the serpent. And so God tells Abraham, get up and leave this place. Now we remember, if you were here Wednesday night, that if you looked back, and we don't have the time to, but if you look back into chapter 11, you will see that Abram started out on his journey. I can only imagine the conversation over the dinner table when he approached Sarai with this plan. And yet the two of them began their faith walk together. Now God told them to get up and to go, and they did. God told them to leave their relatives behind, and they did not. They took Terah and Lot with them. God told them to go to a place and he would show them, and they did not. They stalled out in Haran. We don't really know exactly why, but it seems to have something to do with Terah because it says when he died, the journey continued. Had he obeyed in the beginning and not taken Terah with him, might he made better time in his disobedience? Now, before we get too harsh on Abram, Beloved, you and I do the same thing. Oh, for heaven's sakes. God says go and we say, okay, how about right here? <laughs> I'm liking right here. Because do you know what we crave as Western Christians? We crave comfort. Oh, the older I get, I want my pillow. I want my fan. I want my room dark. I want no noise. I want my coffee hot in the morning. I want no one to talk to me until my cup is empty. You morning people, you just go on with yourself because there's a segment of our society, beloved, that are not morning people. Who are not morning people? Oh, come on, come on. You are my people. You are, you are my people. And don't you know I am married to the king of the morning hour. The man gets up singing hymns. God love him. Years ago, we had to have a discussion about that. But anyways, I'm moving on. I'm moving on. You and I like comfort. And even when God says go, we say, oh, okay, I'll go. I'll go this far. And Abram lost time. We don't know how long they stayed there. He lost his testimony because this was not what God had called him to do. 
And not only that, when he left Haran after his father-in-law died, he took Lot with him. Now, some say that he possibly thought that Lot was going to be his heir since they did not have any children. He possibly thought he was responsible for Lot, his nephew, now that his father-in-law had died. Whatever it was, beloved, it was not God's plan for them to take Lot. And we know that Lot was not a man of character. And I declare, we don't have time to get into it with Lot, but if the New Testament did not tell us he was a righteous man, not a one of us would believe he's going to be in eternity with us. Because he had a life that didn't really square up with a testimony for Christ, excuse me. So faith begins when God speaks and Abraham responds. And so after his father-in-law dies, he picks up that journey again. And it says, look now in verse 5, Abram took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his nephew, all their possessions which they had accumulated and had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. Look in verse 7. The Lord appeared to Abram and said to your descendants, I will give this land, and he built an altar to the Lord. Oh, my goodness. Even though he has stumbled just a bit, Abram knows that he knows that he knows that God is approached through worship and that God has an absolute method by which he can be accessed and approached and it involves blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And Abram understood that. And so when they finally get into the land of Canaan, he builds an altar and the Lord appears to him there. Now, so far, Abram is really beginning to pick up speed in his faith walk. Let me just remind you that a faith walk is not just a straight line. Beloved, we go three steps forward and ten steps back. We go two steps forward and one step back. It is start and stop. And not that that's a good thing. It's just a reality. Our flesh makes sure that we keep stumbling, frustrated, irritated. And yet, God allows us to start all over again. When we come to him by the shed blood of Jesus Christ, confess our sins and meet with him there. And so we see Abram as he is on this faith journey and he's doing so well. And we wish the story stopped there, but if it did, you and I would lose hope. Because we know if you've walked with God any length of time, goodness, there are times when we stumble and make missteps and we fall and we are frail. And so look in verse 9, he journeyed on, he continued to the Negev. Now the Negev was a desert land and Abram had been born and raised there in Ur of the Chaldeans. That area was called the Fertile Crescent. And so he was used to things that were lush and green. And now he's looking on a desert land and his stomach is grumbling and he is hungry and there is not food. And rather than going to God and saying, God, you brought us out here. 
Now you got to be responsible for feeding us. Show us what we are to do. Instead of that, and evidently without any consultation with the Lord, we see verse 10, there was a famine in the land. And so Abram went down to Egypt. This is what I call when faith falters without consulting with the Lord. Abram, Sarah, and Lot head down to Egypt. Now, it's so interesting. I used a book by Chuck Swindoll, one of my favorites, on the life of Abraham. He is outstanding when he does character studies. And if you're interested in doing some extra study, I recommend his book on Abraham. But in that book, he says this. It is possible that Lot was the one who planted the idea that they should go to Egypt. In chapter 13, when Lot looks at the land that he wants, he describes it as glorious like in Egypt. So it is possible that at least part of this equation was Lot was a stumbling stone to Abram. He was obviously responsible for his own decision, but it says there was a famine in the land and they went down to Egypt and this was not a good plan. Verse 11, it came about when he came near to Egypt. He said to Sarah, his wife, see now, I know that you are a beautiful woman. She was physically beautiful. She was also spiritually beautiful. There was something about her that set her apart from those women who did not know the Lord. And he said, when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife and they are going to kill me. But they're going to let you live. So say that you are my sister, so it will go well with me because of you, and I will live on account of you. Way to go, Abram. <laughs> if you think that conversation they had back in Ur before they headed out was rough, <laughs> may I suggest to you this did not go over well. Furthermore, let me just point out to you that God has covenanted with Abram and promised him an heir. And through his heir, all the nations of the world were going to be blessed. There's no way Abram was about to die. Because God cannot lie. So do you see how serious his actions were? That fear was rooted not just in emotion but in unbelief. Does this not remind you of Eve in the garden when Satan came up to her and said, Has God said? And got Eve to distrust the word of the Lord and we see Abram falling for the same thing and beloved this continues to be how the enemy continues to deceive us as God says is God really good when you have cancer and you love God you've been serving God and he's about to set you on the sidelines is he good yes Yes, he is. By faith, the goodness of God surrounded Craig and I in cancer 
in the same way it did prior and after that diagnosis. Explain it. Oh, I don't think I can. Believe it. You better believe it. Yes, God is good. In a famine, yes. When you're hungry, oh, yes. Because he is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think. He is able to come and stand strong. And when we see that and learn of that lesson, I tell you, we are forever changed. Marked out by those moments. Abram did not believe God. Not only that, look with me back. It says in verse 14, uh, they did see she was very beautiful. 15, the officials saw her. They praised her to Pharaoh. And she was taken into Pharaoh's house. Beloved Abram, risk the lineage of Christ being interrupted when he allowed Sarah to be taken into the harem. When you and I operate in unbelief as Christians, when you and I operate in such a way that we allow emotions to so take hold of us that we cannot think straight, we cannot believe straight, and unbelief begins to be our default position, I am telling you the enemy just starts running roughshod over us. And he not only causes us despair, but all of those in our circle of influence. Well, Abraham was treated well, it says, for her sake. In verse 16, Pharaoh gave him sheep and oxen and donkeys and male servants and female donkeys and, and uh, camels. But he struck Pharaoh's house with a great plague because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. God stood up strong on Sarah's help. He came to her aid and he struck them with a plague. And when everyone in the harem and everyone in the house came down with this horrible plague, Pharaoh knew that the issue were the foreigners in his land. And so he calls Abram and he says, what have you done? Verse 18, why didn't you tell me this was your wife? He doesn't have a response. Why did you say she's my sister? So I took her for my wife. Now then, here's your wife. Take her and go. Pharaoh could have killed Abram. He could have put, thrown him in prison. But again, God stood strong on his behalf. Even his beloved child that was acting in unrighteousness and unbelief. Verse 20, Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him and they escorted him away with his wife and all that belonged to him. Do you know that most commentators, or at least many of them, believe this is where Abram and Sarah picked up Hagar? Yeah, that sucked the air right out of the room. <laughs> and the reason is because when you and I operate in unbelief, we pick up unsavory habits. We strengthen our self-protective mechanism rather than crucifying it and operating in the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Well, we're going to move on. And the last thing I want you to see is when faith is restored, this is the good news of Abram's life. And we're going to see it happen over and over and over again. Verse 13, so Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev, he and his wife and all that belonged with him, and Lot was with him. And can I just suggest to you, this was not a pleasant trip. I think Sarah said, brother, me and you need to talk. <laughs> and I believe she told him a thing or two. And then perhaps gave him the silent treatment for miles and miles and miles. I believe it was during this time when Abram was ashamed Mortified before his wife, ashamed before the Lord, ashamed before Pharaoh. Pharaoh had acted more righteous than he had. And he knew he had spoiled the testimony of the one true God. And I believe as Abram plodded along with the flocks all around him, and Sarah, she's way out ahead of him, and she is stomping. She is stomping. And she looks back at him and says, oh, no, you do not. Oh, no, you do not. I believe it was during this time that Abram got alone with the Lord. And there was confession and there was repentance. And God worked in his life. The Bible says even when we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. That's who he is. And beloved, you and I live in this unbelievable blessing of God's faithfulness. Oh, don't ever get used to it. He is faithful. He is true. No matter what you have done, you can come home. And you will find the father with his arms open wide saying, kill the fatted calf. Put a ring on his finger. Put a robe on his back. And while there are consequences, and some of them very serious, you can come home. In Luke 15 about the prodigal son, it says the father looked and he saw him from afar off. God is looking for some of you to come home today. Some of you are praying for prodigals. You are begging God to call them back home unto himself. God is faithful. And it says in verse 3, He went on his journey from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel, which means house of God, and Ai to the place of the altar which he had made there formerly. And he called upon the name of the Lord. Abraham went back to the place he knew he would find God. God had never moved. Abram had. But when Abram came back in repentance with confession, God gladly received him. Now the next bit of the story is so interesting that there had so many sheep now. Abraham has been so prospered that he's got so many sheep and herd and, and, and Lot himself has benefited from the prosperity by which God has prospered Abraham. And there rose between their herdsmen such a conflict because the land could not support 
of the two. And so Abram calls Lot to him. And he said, let's not argue. Let's not fight. Let's not have a family fuss. You're my nephew. And you may have whatever portion of the land you desire. I'll give you first choice. And so Lot, just look which part of the land do you want. And if you go to the east, I'll go to the west. And if you want to go to the west, I will go to the east. You can have it. And beloved, it is incredible as we see this man maturing in his walk with God, no longer concerned about gathering possessions to himself. Abraham understands he's been blessed to be a blessing. And that's what this study is all about. Because you and I have been so richly blessed. Not that we might keep it and hoard it to ourselves, but that we might give it away. That we might be a blessing to others. And you will recall, look in verse number, uh, uh, verse 10, chapter 13, verse 10. Lot lifted up his eyes and he saw the valley of the Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. As you go to Zeor, Lot chose for himself all the valley of the Jordan and he journeyed eastward. Thus they separated from each other. Now the next two verses are absolutely chilling. Abram settled in the land of Canaan while Lot settled in the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, exceedingly, and sinners against the Lord. With his eyes wide open, Lot made a decision based on what he saw that would impact his family for generations to come. But God said to Abraham, who had separated from Lot, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward, eastward and westward, all the land that you see. I'm going to give it to you and your descendants forever. I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth. So anyone, so that if anyone can number the dust of the earth, then your descendants can be numbered. Arise. Walk through the land, through its length and breadth, for I will give it to you. And then Abram moved his tent and came, and he dwelt by the oaks of Mamre, which are in Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. His faith faltered, but he was restored when he returned to the Lord. Beloved, this is the walk of faith. You and I stumble, we fall. We make poor decisions, but faith is not final if you are in the Lord. He is faithful and true. If we will come to him in confession and repentance, he is faithful to tr and true to forgive us, to restore us, to bless us, to press us back into service that we might continue to walk with him wiser and more guarded about how we live. 
Most of you know that Craig and I have two boys that we have raised. Um, our guys both have, are married and have their own children. One of our boys, Dawson, lives here in town with his family. And he and Catherine have four little people. Our youngest, uh, Walker, is five. And this is a story about him. He was almost three at the time. And he and his older brother and sister were out at our house. And uh, he had just been introduced to yogurt. And he loved it. Loved it. And so we were about to have a snack, and he told me, he calls me JJ, JJ, I want some yogurt. Well, I had yogurt on hand, and so I opened it, and I stirred it up, and handed that little guy a spoon, and I said, here you go, baby. And so he pulls up there to, the, uh, to my counter, and, and uh, Craig's on one side, and I'm on the other, and we're just watching this kid as his whole face is absolutely lit up with delight over yogurt. And so he stirs in there. He's learned now to feed himself. And so he stirs in there. He gets him a big old bite of yogurt and he tucks it into his mouth. And then he looks up at me and he says, mm, 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 mm. <laughs> And after that, he pointed his spoon at me and said, JJ. And I could tell I was supposed to do something. He was expecting me to know what to do. And I looked at the older siblings and I said, so, I'm sorry, what, what's expected of me? And they said, oh, he wants you to go, mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. <laughs> so I did, because if you're a grandmother, you're not going to disappoint a three-year-old even over yogurt. And so then he points at Craig, whom he calls Papa, and he said, Papa. And the older one said, Papa, he wants you to go, mm, 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 mm. So my husband obliges. The child takes another spoonful of yogurt and he says, mm, 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 JJ. <laughs> now this time I knew what was expected. Papa, Craig, <laughs> he stepped into this just as well. The child stirs his yogurt, gets him another spoonful. He says, mm. JJ! <laughs> Papa! And as he's getting his fourth spoon now, took him a long time to eat the yogurt, I just would like to say that. My husband looked up and said, What is this all about? What's, what's the kid doing? And I said, I think he wants us to enter into his joy. He wants you to enter into his joy. I'm talking about joy, unspeakable and full of glory. I'm talking about a life that is ours in Christ. I am talking about a joy that cannot be duplicated apart from Christ. I am talking about the joy of the Lord being our strength. I am talking about unspeakable, inexpressible joy that bubbles up. So the joy bells in our soul begin to declare he is a good God. Enter into his joy. Mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. Let's pray. Oh, sweet Jesus. Oh, sweet Jesus. Lord, as we study Abraham's life, Forgive us if we read this as a history lesson. 
Lord, forgive us if we're so familiar with this story that we fail to step into it. Lord, call us deep into the things of God. Help us to move from information to revelation and God all the way to transformation. We're living in a culture that needs to see what happens when God so gets a hold of a woman that she cannot help herself but proclaim he is worthy, 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 worthy is the Lamb of God who was slain before the foundation of the world. Father, Thank you, thank you that just as you called Abram from the very place he was, you didn't ask him to clean up his life, you sought him out in his lost condition and you set your affections upon him, you spoke to him and you called him out and when he responded by faith, you declared, he is mine. And for every woman who is here today, who knows you, I speak this truth over her. You belong to Jesus. You belong to Jesus. He has a purpose and a plan. And he invites us to step into his joy to live above the downward pull of the world, the flesh, and the devil. To walk through suffering, sorrowing, grieving, difficulties with our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Oh, that he might redeem one like me. Now, Father, thank you. Thank you for allowing me to come back. Oh, sweet Jesus. Thank you for being among my precious sisters who love you so much. May we continue to urge each other on in the faith. Thank you for Dana and all that she does. And thank you for Donna and all that she does to serve the women of this church and community. And Father, may we who have been blessed with so much be a continual blessing unto you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.